Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of All Facts, No Cap. Today, we got NFL on CBS color analyst Charles Davis, somebody that I grew up watching all the way from the 90s to the 2000s. So it is definitely a pleasure to have you on, Charles. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm, I'm going to try and reverse the clock a little bit here. <laughs> Do a little Benjamin Button. <laughs> All good, man. I'm always with you. Hey, so I'm going to go ahead and just hop right in. You're a former DB, just like I am. And so obviously we're probably being a little bit of, you know, uh, homers and being a little bit uh being a, being a little bit partial to this question. But is defensive back the hardest position to play in the NFL right now? Oh, we think, no, there's no doubt about it. And, and you, you were a heck of a lot better defensive back than I ever thought about being but it's just the combination of everything that's asked of you yes, and, and the ability to do things that someone else is doing at a high rate of speed with excellent dexterity backwards. Yep. Okay. So you're doing that <laughs> and then anticipating what they're going to do and try and beat them to the punch and transitioning from going backwards to forwards. And then the opportunity for the ball to be there, then you have to catch it. No yeah. doubt about it. Or here comes the big horse coming at you. Jim Brown, God rest his soul. We just yeah. lost the running back in history of the NFL. You got to come up and tackle him. <laughs> oh, trust me. 300-pound guards <laughs> getting out in the open field who can't wait to hunt you down. Oh, my goodness. They love so making examples out of DBs. Target and trying to find a way to make a play. I could go on all day. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, a lot of what happens to a defensive back happens in the open field 
And so everyone is locked in and sees it. Open field tackles, open field plays, moment of truth balls down the field. I could go on all day. Yes, yeah, there's... We may Go ahead. be balanced, but the truth is the truth. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, obviously there's other positions in the NFL that are very difficult to play. So yeah. not just trying to single out all the DBs, but just like what you said about it's in the open field. So if a defensive tackle or a DN gets out of his gap, it winds up being a 10-yard run play. Okay, first down, they move the chains, line up and do it all over again. If a linebacker misses a tackle or something like that, he's got the safety back there to go ahead and have his back. But as a DB, you slip and fall. As it's happened to me in college a couple of times, you slip and fall, a receiver gets behind you. And because you're out in the open field, everybody sees it. Everybody knows oh, that number eight, that number 26 or whoever, he's out there getting beat, not looking good. I wonder why he's even on the team. So that to me, just the mental aspect, the mental anguish of being able to have to go and have a bad play and then erase it quickly because you know that quarterback's going to come right back at you the next series. That to me is what makes defensive back the toughest on the field because you have to have that short memory. I agree. The mental capacity and and what you have to deal with. And with that short memory, when you talk about erasing it, you're erasing the bad, but you're remembering how it happened. Mm -hmm. You take that part with you so that it doesn't happen to you again. And one thing I'll throw in, we're pretty slick at times about things that we do. So I'm just going (laughs) to take. Yes. So when you're talking about when when there's those times when we slip in the open field and someone gets behind us or gets open, you never once got up off the ground and didn't grab your leg or something, right? Of course. Of that, course. That, you got to sell it. You got to sell it. number one goal, right? I mean, that's my move. Mm-hmm. I went down, fell on my face, and the guy's running by me. I'd get up and grab my hammy or, or you know, you come up and you kind of take a couple gimpy steps. You know, <laughs> you got to let everybody know there was a reason this happened. Oh, yeah. It just happened. No doubt about it. Because you can't let the crowd, you can't even let your teammates know that somebody ran by you that clean as if they're that much better of an <laughs> athlete than you are. So, man, trust me, I'm right there with you. I know that a guy, a guy that I played with, Michael Huff, I remember this is years back, and he was telling me from his years at UT, one thing that he learned, if there's a big play being made, get off of the screen. Like get out of the frame of the camera because anybody that gets beat or any any big play that happens in football, you know this. And and, and as a broadcaster, you know this. Yeah, Typically, the camera is going to go to whatever defender is the closest to whoever scored the touchdown. And they're going to assume that, okay, he's the one that missed the tackle. He's the one that missed the assignment. He's the one that got beat. He's the one that got beat on the touchdown. So that's one thing that I remember Michael have always said is that he learned at UT. If there's a big play being made, get off of the camera screen <laughs> that is next level right there and that is that that's why he was such a great player because he understood not just on the field but the rest of it i mean when you start thinking about camera angles and yeah and all that, <laughs> you are a deep thinker and, and i'll leave it with this a major league umpire told me one time that he had a call at second on a stolen base mm-hmm. the guy slides in and he said i don't know how it happened but as I went and I made the call, I went safe and punched it like he was out. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. And there, you know, the second baseman and the, and the runner look up and like what? And he goes, "There's fifty thousand people here, and they just saw me punch it like it's out." 
So guess what? You're out. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though you're safe, you are now out. I get it. Man, sometimes you just got to save face. So I definitely understand that umpire. Trust me, as a DB, you just got to do what you got to do. Because, listen, I got to make it look right for everybody watching. You know, I know I messed up, but I'll be damned if I just let, if I let them know that I'm over here making that uh, that uh, repeated mistake. No so, doubt. Listen, so speaking of another difficult position within the NFL, let's go to quarterback. Give me your thoughts on who you feel is going to have the best rookie season of everyone in the quarterback class. It is such a a, a jumble mm-hmm. when you talk about these guys coming in because when Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin hit, we felt like they were almost locks. Yeah, Luck maybe even more so because uh-huh. we had been seeing Luck on the scene for he had been the number one pick for about three years. Oh yeah, out of Stanford. And then Robert Griffin comes along, wins the Heisman, and makes it a horse race, right? When 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 Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf came out, I don't know that many people predicted that Ryan Leaf would have the tough time that he had in his career. They yeah, I don't think anybody did. They were going to be stars in this league. Trevor Lawrence looked like a star. This year's group, you can make a case for them being stars, but you can also make a case for their being, oh, boy, we got some question marks about this. So right? true. Bryce Young's size, C.J. Stroud. Well, well, if he can move around as well as he did against Georgia, how come we didn't see it before? What was going on there, right? Then, then you get into Will Levis. Did he win enough games? Was he consistent? He threw too many interceptions. There were too many turnovers. We just go right down the line. We were picking at these guys more so than we do the top prospects. I do think it's going to be interesting because I do think that Bryce Young is set up for success in Carolina because of the defense. Yeah. Really good defense that he's joining new head coach, Frank Reich, who I think will be perfect for him in terms of comportment and temperament. I think that works well for a rookie quarterback coming in and they've made some really nice moves in the off season. They gave him a runner in Miles Sanders. They drafted a a big move from Jonathan Mingo even though the DJ Moore left in the trade that allowed them to get Bryce Young. Beefing up the offensive line. Ike Okwano should be better his second year at left tackle. Taylor Mouton continues to be underrated at right tackle. Just go on down the line. I just think that they've done enough things around him in a division that's wide open. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a chance for success early, okay? I, I, I'm not saying the rest of them do not, but I don't anticipate Will Levis starting. I think that Ryan Tannehill will continue to be the starter. C.J. Stroud's going to Houston, and that's a tough assignment right now. Starting yep. over third head coach in three years. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Trust me. Don't remind me. Three's <laughs> three head coaches in three years. Every year's a reset, a start over. Everyone's starting from ground zero because it's a brand new playbook, brand new terminology, offense, defense, everything. So as I watch these guys come in, I really think that Bryce Young, even though it's the number one pick, it seems like picking the, you know, the, the low hanging fruit. I just like what's built around him right now. And I do think he'll get the ball from day one. I'd be surprised if he doesn't start right out of the gate. Hendon Hooker is an interesting one who went to Detroit. Detroit. Coming off the knee injury, he'll get a chance to rest, heal up, but no expectations of him having to play right away. Detroit really likes Jared Goff and they should. He played really well for them last year. They have a chance for that offense to really take off, but he's in a good spot to learn and have, if his opportunity comes, he'll be able to get there and go. 
You know, speaking of uh, C.J. Stroud, and then when you look at the Justin Fields of the world and all the other Ohio State quarterbacks, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to tell me where it lands with you. So someone, obviously, who is deep into this game, deep into the analysis of the NFL, but obviously the college game matriculating to the NFL game, it's very difficult for me to judge Ohio State quarterbacks and evaluate them because you look at this year's draft. You look at uh, Jackson Smith, and I don't want to say – I know I'm a mess up on his last name, but Jackson you know the Smith, first – the first exactly, the one who went to the Seattle Seahawks, number uh, the first receiver taken. Yeah. And then you look at how they got Marvin Harrison Jr. coming up next year and how last year you had uh, – you had my man out of the New York Jets. You had um, – Garrett Wilson. Yeah, Garrett, Garrett Wilson, exactly, and Alave with the Saints. And – Whenever you go to a powerhouse school like that, you're throwing a first-round receivers. You have a first-round tackle. You have big running backs in the backfield that were five-star recruits coming out of high school. So are you really a stud, or are you just simply throwing the better players everywhere around on the field than the opponents that you're going against? Where does that land with you, me making that statement? I, I think it's one of those – I think it's a statement that – bear scrutiny because this is the, these are things we talk about all the time when you're scouting and evaluating sometimes you're like well he should be pretty good behind that line he should be pretty good throwing to those receivers now you have to go down to what you're seeing from them in the toughest cauldron that they face cj let's just use cj stroud for this year the best game he played was the toughest cauldron that was georgia absolutely and even with all that talent, now you're playing a team that matches you in talent. Mm -hmm. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? And he was dynamite in that game. Yeah, Best he game he had played. He had come off of a tough one against Michigan, didn't play up to the level. An Ohio State team that was good enough to win that game. The, the final score, I think, was bigger than what it really was, but doesn't matter. It looks like Michigan jumped on him pretty hard. To bounce back from that and play his best game. Yes, the receivers are great. Yes, offensive line you have. We're going to say the same thing in a lot of ways about Bryce Young. Because mm -hmm. he won the Heisman, think of who he was throwing the football to. And Jameson Williams didn't get hurt till the end of the season. First round pick. Okay. Before that, you had, you know, the Henry Ruggs of the world. And, you know, just go right on down the line. John Mechie, who's coming back this year off of, off of the lymphoma, who's going to play, was a big time receiver and target for them. I don't ding them for playing with talent. I just want to see how they play when they play people who match their talent. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I've seen out of those guys. For an Ohio State quarterback, they've had that reputation, right? Do they blossom? Do they do this? Do they do that? Justin Fields is going to get some people around him starting this year in Chicago. Mm -hmm. They believed in him. They didn't trade him away. They didn't draft over him. They're trying to build up around him. Here's his opportunity. But Stroud is a, is a natural thrower of the football. I mean, he is pure. And his footwork, watch him, and watch him when he gets away from the center, how easy he gets to the spots he needs to get to. When he has to throw to the left, he knows how to get there to open himself up and throw throwing to the right, make every throw that you want. Does he have a howitzer? No, but he's got hmm. stronger than I think people give him credit for. Yeah, I think that uh, that was something that I've always kind of wondered because when you really look at the top quarterbacks in the NFL, 
they don't typically come from powerhouses. Like you were just mentioning, Andrew, look, he went to Stanford where they got the pro-style run game. You know, they had Christian McCaffrey. They had Toby Gerhardt. Stanford is more known for offensive linemen or, you know, maybe a D tackle or running back. And then you look at Big Ben. He came out of Miami of Ohio. You look at Aaron Rodgers coming out of Cal. Tom Brady at Michigan. But Michigan wasn't necessarily just supreme for – yeah, the, the you know, the college football playoff, even though they didn't have it back then, but, you know, the BCS and things like that. So that to me, I've always wondered, is there a sort of correlation in the better quarterbacks come from schools? They come from situations where they don't have all of that great talent around them, where they have to just figure it out, so to speak. I think there's a combination in there. I really do. I think what you're talking about sometimes we will see quarterbacks who are less talented who are brought along by a really talented ball club. You'll see it at an Alabama. You'll see it at an Ohio State. You'll see it at a Michigan now. You'll see it at all these schools. They're at the top level, top of the food chain. Sometimes the quarterback isn't that guy. Mm -hmm. Other times, though, with these teams where that quarterback is the difference for them. Even though there's a bunch of talent around, if you're playing in the Big Ten, if you're playing in the SEC, if you're playing in the Pac-12, you're meeting some dudes. Week yes, in and you week are. Out. And every single conference wants to boast about, ah, we've got this and we've got that, and everybody fights it all out. The best teams are the best teams are the best teams. I'm fully mm-hmm. convinced. The best teams in the Pac-12 can go play in the SEC and vice versa. The best teams in the Big Ten can go play in the Big 12 and vice versa. Style of play may be a little bit different, but it weeds itself out. So what I'm trying to say is with these quarterbacks, do they have that it factor? Mm -hmm. You can, can, can take a great team and make them exceptional. Do they have that it factor to take an average team and make them better? Eli Manning was one of those people. That oh yeah, he played on. They won the miss. West. All right, with Eli because mm-hmm. he made plays in the clutch. He did that against teams that you would say probably are better talented than they were. And LSU and Alabama, teams of that nature, he made them competitive and beat those teams. Sometimes they have that, and it comes from all stripes. It absolutely does. It can be the bigger school, and as you've noted, it can be others. Look. Bart Starr is a professional football Hall of Famer with the Green Bay Packers. God rest his soul. He came out of Alabama. So everybody goes, oh, I played out there. He was a 17th round pick. Say that with me now. 17th round pick. Good Lord. Had gotten benched (laughs) his senior year at Alabama. Had to fight his way back and make his way back. Ends up being a pro football Hall of Famer. So even the bigger school guys sometimes run into some, run into some, uh, how would I call it? So some challenges. Yeah, adversity. Right? Some adversity. They run into the wall occasionally. Well, we all know that in college football, and especially within the NFL, it's a quarterback-driven league. And I would imagine for the news that has come out over the last couple of days with the flex scheduling, a lot of that is what's going to be driving whether a team will get flexed in or flexed out if, let's say, their quarterback is out for the year and they're no longer a playoff contender or Super Bowl contender. So you as a broadcaster, and for me as a former player, you as a former player as well, talk to me your thoughts on now the flex scheduling being Thursday night football, possibly Sunday night football, and even now Monday night. Talk to me, your thoughts on that. 
I, I always struggle with my worries about the people who are going to the game. Mm -hmm. Our in-studio audience, for lack of a better term, right? 60, 70,000 people who have made plans, want to be there. You might have bought that ticket for your kid for, for their birthday. And now you're taking four friends. Mm -hmm. Any number of things. And all of a sudden you go for, well, we're not playing that day. We're playing. And now your schedule may not fit that. Absolutely. I always feel for those people. I absolutely do. If you're not planning to go to the game, though, and you're sitting at home, you just want the best game. Can absolutely. Please give me the flex. This is a bad <laughs> matchup. Bring yes. somebody else in here. Make it better for me. The Thursday night flex is the one that concerns me the most. Me too. Because me too. we're Saturday. If we're doing it on a Sunday and, and you flex from Sunday night to Sunday afternoon, you don't have to change your plans that much. You're still there, right? I, there can be some change, but it's not as abrupt. Thursday night? That's a big one. Now, the beauty Very is, big. I tried to examine this. It's a this one in the first go around, first go round. This is where I think the league got it right. Normally our flex is what within like 2 weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sunday night football. This is 28 days. Yes, that's that to me was the most that the most intriguing nugget. 28 days. Now, I don't know about you, I would say that you would you would have a better shot at this than me, but I am not Madam Cleo where I can look 28 days in advance exactly and know the matchup I want to flex. So I do think that th this year, I think there's a very good chance that the flex is on the table and it doesn't even get used. Good point. I, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Now, I'm also wondering, though, since the flex is on the table, that we go a year, we go two years, doesn't really get used. And then we find out out of league meetings, oh, yeah, for the Thursday night, remember we were flexing at 28 days? We're going to flex at 14. <laughs> now we start to get – It's a slippery flexing? slope, yes. They, they, they have put it in, and then they're able to condition it to where, hey, first two, we never even used it. The flex is it's probably not even going to be used. But if you change the dates, now I'm not saying they will, but I'm just trying to anticipate if you put it in for 28 days, who's really looking at 28 days and saying, well, you know, I think we got to flex out of that game because in a month, <laughs> I know what it's going to look like. Yeah, you know? I, I, I think it's just going to be very difficult to be able to hard. do I it. This first year, we won't see much, if any. I, I'm, I'm leaning towards no flexing on Thursday night this first year. I would I would definitely agree with that sentiment just because it's 28 days away and we know how it's a quarterback driven league. If all of a sudden your quarterback gets injured where he's out for the season in week number 10, yeah. where you're no longer now in playoff contention. Well, okay, but 28 days away. If you got to go ahead and make that stalemate as far as, okay, we got to flex it in within 28 right. days. Well, in 14 days, guy may tear his ACL. Nobody wants to watch that team anymore. So that's why I think having it be from such a far out, uh, such a far out uh, 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 label, that to me, it becomes a slippery slope. And then I think from a player's perspective, and you know this, I'm not trying to play on Thursday 
when I just got my body back, probably Thursday morning, especially, you know, for us, we're out there, we're DBs, so we don't hit as much as the guys in the trenches. But for those boys that are banging up front, they're not even physically ready to play until probably Friday. They may sit out of practice on Wednesday, Thursday, they may do some light. Friday, they're ready to go ahead and start to at least try to rev it up a little bit. And then, you know what, Sunday's the game. But now, with it being on Thursday, that to me, as a player, I never liked Thursday games. I never did. And so that's where I'm looking at the schedule release that came out just a couple weeks ago. And I now, okay, we got Green Bay. We got Minnesota. We got the 49ers here. Okay, we got a Sunday night game there. Okay, we got a Monday night game there. And then now all of a sudden you tell me <laughs> November 1st. Oh, yeah, uh, you guys are playing on Thursday night on November 30th. Uh and it might be your second Thursday. Yeah, like uh now we can do two. Yeah, now, so now we which we which you never had before. Remember, you you would if you Thursday was on the schedule, you could identify it. Exactly. Go, okay, that's it. I'm good. Unless you had a Thanksgiving Day game. But mm-hmm. that, that you still were going to get a week or more before you're going to play your next game. So that was never going to be like if you get that second one and it was Thanksgiving, they still gave you that time. You still got Absolutely. a week to get ready to go or the normal week or more after it. Yeah. So to me, I think that um, from a player's perspective, that's something that would annoy me because why the hell do we do the schedule release just a couple weeks ago? If now all of a sudden you're telling me that the schedule is fluid, <laughs> it's not written in in pen, it's not written in stone anymore. Now it's fluid. So I understand it. The NFL is all about it's a business. We all know that it's all about money. They want to make sure that they that they are putting forth the best product. For the fans, I get that. I understand that because without it being a billion dollar industry, without it being able to generate as much revenue, the contracts for the players wouldn't be as high. They wouldn't be as lucrative. So I understand all that from a player standpoint, man, being flexed into a Thursday game when you were under the impression that you're playing on Sunday, that that would annoy me, Charles. That, That would annoy me. Listen, you've lived it. <laughs> you you understand minus the flex. Yeah. You've lived the Thursday, you've lived the the Monday night game, come back and have to play on a Sunday and go from one coast to the other. You you've lived where you've had to be out there for two weeks because you were going yes. east, right? And and mm-hmm. gotta stay there for two weeks, or you were going west and you gotta stay there for two weeks because otherwise the time zone to jump on you. When we were in college, and remember, you know, I was a college player, you're an NFL player, so I don't want anyone to, to, to watch this and go, boy, Davis trying to pass himself off as something he didn't do. <laughs> oh, no, you good, man. That's straight, right? But fluid for us on schedule meant, hey, I thought we were playing at one. Now we're playing at four because yeah. TV our game. That was fluid. Mm-hmm. They never changed. In the NFL – now you've got the flex scheduling where the day can possibly change on you, and it changes your ramp up and getting ready. And as you noted, if you're coming off of a Thursday, if you're coming off of a bruising game, if you're coming off of a crazy road trip, if you're coming off of – that's why I always talk about these teams that are at the top of the food chain in the NFL and consistently stay there. They don't get enough credit for handling the vagaries of an NFL schedule because if you are a good team in the NFL – it is rare that you will play a steady diet of 1 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. Very true. You're going to play a lot of primetime games. You're playing primetime. You're playing 405. You're playing Thursday night. 
you're playing Sunday night, you're playing Monday, you're playing Thanksgiving, you're playing Christmas. Your week is never the same. Never. The worst teams in the league, in a sense, have the best schedule because out of 17 games, they'll play 15 at 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Maybe <laughs> so one primetime game. So they're set. They they play. They go, everything works out well. You ask any coach in the league, what would you prefer in your schedule? 17 straight weeks at 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh-huh. But they also say the exact same thing. But if I'm playing that, I'm not very good, and I'm probably getting fired mm-hmm. because we're not very good. Kansas City is always going to have this. Buffalo's become one of these, yeah. right? The Dallas Cowboys are always like that. When to whoever Tom Brady was playing for was going to be like yeah, that. Yeah, boy. But 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 you notice the consistency of most of those teams to handle it. Green Bay, when Aaron was there, they're going to handle it and deal with it because they are good teams. They understand. They work. The best coaches, organizations, they have a plan for this. They work it out. They get it done. So yeah, they'd love to play at one o'clock each week, but they. But if you're playing one o'clock each week, you're not very good. <laughs> you got to be able to handle the rest of it. In Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati. Now I can go on and on. They're getting used to to having to deal with that. Kansas City's been dealing with it for years. Speaking of another team that's always been relatively good and it's always been a a mainstay within the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the comments that Big Ben made the other day, or at least should I say revealing the comments that he made, feeling he did not want Kenny Pickett to succeed. Yeah. And I remember reading that. I remember seeing the clip. And you as a former player, just like me as a former player. And within any industry, I don't care what industry you're in, music, sports, lawyer, doctor, I don't care. A lot of people look at Big Ben's comments and they find them offensive. They find them, that's rude, that's insensitive, everything. But you can understand where he's coming from. And much like as a player, okay, You leave a team, they trade you away. They cut you, whatever. I feel it's more of an anomaly that you'll find the guy who's going to still wish them well, root them on, et cetera, et cetera, than a guy who's not really going to actually want to see them succeed because your legacy is all you have at the end of the day. And if somebody walks in and completely just pops right off the uh, right out uh, right off the bat much like you see Aaron Rodgers right after Brett Favre left it kind of tarnishes your legacy a little bit so i'm saying i think it's more of an anomaly that you're going to find the guy who speaks glowingly who truly in his heart wants to see the team go and win five Super Bowls after you leave or see the guy who replaces him go and rattle off a Hall of Fame career. I think it's more of an anomaly that you'll find that guy more so than you'll find somebody with the sentiments of Big Ben. What say you? Stanford, I think that Ben Roethlisberger spoke truth. Yes. And if you just did the headline, as you said, it would be off-putting for people. But if you examine the story and hear what he really was saying, and he said it, I think most humans can relate to it. 
but you're embarrassed to say that you can. Uh-huh. Because we are taught to boost up our fellow person, right? To support them, to do all the things. And let's be honest about it. You almost feel ashamed when you realize you're really not rooting for them to be better than you. Of course not. <laughs> you're, you're almost <laughs> in the room like, oh, <laughs> it's real, right? Yeah. You don't want to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. You've established a, a legacy, for lack of a better word, that you think is pretty good. And now all of a sudden people are flocking to the other person and, oh, yeah, you were pretty good, too. But, boy, is he playing well. It hurts. It's hard. It's difficult. I just think when he said it, for him to do, to reveal that level, that depth, he said what people should be able to relate to and understand oh, absolutely. easily. I applauded him in a big way for that vulnerability, being that raw and that honest and that open. But I think that he will, I think that he's already come to peace with it, which is why mm-hmm. he was saying, you know, he understands that he's going to the Professional Football Hall of Fame. He understands that he will always have a huge place in the Pittsburgh pantheon of their greats. Yes. But when you first get out of the game, it's tough. You can relate yeah. You can tell people, look, as I got out of college and didn't make it in the NFL, my first game back in the University of Tennessee, I saw someone wearing my number. What are they doing in my number? Mm-hmm. Okay? Hard. The adjustment. And I wasn't even talking NFL level where I was a pro bowler, a Hall of Famer. Oh, it's a lot. I, I just I just couldn't believe his level of vulnerability. I'm going to use that word again to be able to put it out there. And that is the truth. Do you want others to succeed? Yeah, but not yeah. I, I still want not more than you. Yeah, absolutely. I still want forgotten. I just I don't. I, I still want people to put my name next to there. If they're doing well, I still want them to say my name. Mm-hmm. To, to say my accomplishments are there. That's human. That's human nature. It doesn't have to be sports. Anyone who's watching us, pick your profession. Do you want someone to bypass you in your profession? Yeah, I think that most people wouldn't. And I think that uh, for... We want to be that person. We want to be that goal set. And when we get out, we don't want someone to just immediately jump in and take it and and go beyond it because then it feels like what we did before wasn't all that great. You always want to be remembered. That's how it is. So I, I, I couldn't believe that he did it just because... We're not used to us revealing that much of, in, in depth of that. What we're used to is, yeah, I'm so happy for you, Kenny Pickett. I want you to continue the legacy in Pittsburgh. Keep doing your thing, the whole deal. For him to say what he said, he said what it was real. Mm-hmm. That one really struck me. And I'm not near Ben now, but I would just look at him. And you talk about respect. Much respect, you yeah. Feel You said what we were, what, what people think and what you're dealing with. He doesn't wish Kenny Pickett any bad luck. He doesn't want him not to play well. That's just how he felt at the time. And we've all been there. We have Absolutely. Been, every single human being I think that I know has been there in some form or another. And I think that for anybody that, that wants to push back on that or wants to find fault in that, I would just simply ask them this. Who do you know that actually is married? They are in a long-term relationship. And then all of a sudden, they are no longer with that partner. They are no longer with that significant other, significant other and are elated, not happy, elated 
that their significant other has now found a new true love that's so great, so powerful that they just simply, oh, that was just Stan. That was just some guy that I used to date. Like, I don't know if anybody who truly is married in a relationship with their enchanted love, and then let's say it doesn't work out, and your significant other now go finds another greater, powerful, more deeper love to the point to where now they view that view, they viewed your their relationship with you as insignificant. I don't know of anybody who's going to be elated to hear that their former partner is now over the moon in love but you and may, happy. You you may do the public. I'm very happy for you, and then go and be in the fetal position in a dark room for about three days. Exactly. This is so, what we do, though. And and I will tell you, Stanford, for me, in my career, I can just say, if I'm going to be if open and honest about it, I remember earlier in my career when other people would get opportunities that I wanted or thought I should have or what have you, or they replaced me in certain things. I mean, I rooted hard for them not to be as good. Like I was like, oh, now that human nature. Trust me, I've been there. I didn't. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Did internally, right? And I really didn't have that. And I remember meeting with someone and what have you, and blah blah blah. Well, look, the bottom line is, even if I know now that this person could bypass me or my job could quote unquote be in jeopardy, if I'm asked to help, I help. The best things in my world have happened since I get I let go of hoarding my position and just saying, I'm going to be the best I can be. And hopefully that works out. Mm-hmm. Now, is that easy? No. Am I sitting here like it's a piece of cake? Absolutely not. There's times when you're just, yeah. but the best things have happened in my world when, hey, I've helped this person. They, they need something. They need advice. They need this. They need that. Because people helped me along the way, too. And when I look back at my career, some people helped me along the way. I may have ended up in a position that they may have wanted as well. So I had to learn all of that. Bottom line, though, is I'm not sitting here like, oh, that's a piece of cake. I can do that. No, it's hard. It is hard to do. There's times when it's really hard to do. When they tell you, hey, we want this person to kind of shadow you around. I remember one of my colleagues told me years ago, hey, when they start having someone shadow you, you know what they're <laughs> doing? That person's going to replace you. Yeah, that's like drafting the, the the young guy in the first round or the second round yeah, under the, the, the uh, yeah. Take him under your wings. Yeah, absolutely. Him how to do that and guess what we're cutting you in three weeks so so that is a difficult deal but you know something i've learned that a lot of that is inevitable all right so all i can do is handle it with as much class as i possibly can help as much as 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 that person is asking for and let the chips fall and then i go into that room for three days and i'm in the fetal position (laughs) who are you kidding it's not easily done that's how it works but I am much better and my life has gotten better when I quit trying to hoard everything and not be willing to be a partner and help people along the way. Man, you know what, CD? We're going to end on that one because I I don't even have a follow-up or anything like that. 
I, I love that because that's something I've had to learn many times in my life, whether it was in football and broadcasting, coaching, what have you, is exactly what you just said, that you have to be able to take your own ego out of it. And you got to view the bigger picture. And at times that's easier said than done. But yes, if you are able to do that, obviously um, it's going to work out in a more positive mindset where you'll be able to still have a lot of peace rather than that turmoil like you're just speaking to. Yeah, it, but you you just nailed it, it right there. Most of the time is much easier said than done. But that's life. Life is tough. Life is not easy for a, in, in a lot of ways. How are we going to handle that with each other and try and do the right thing? I try to. I don't always succeed. <laughs> Believe me on that one. Yeah. I'm not out trying to sabotage someone. I'm, if someone calls me and they want some help, I'm not hanging up the phone or I'm not saying, ah, I can't do that because we're in competition for this job. And, you know, you might replace me. I might have done more of that earlier in my career, much more of a passive nature. But now someone calls me, someone connects me, someone does. I've been doing that for years and years and years. But as you noted, sometimes it's easier said than done because sometimes you can see what's happening. You can see it's happening in front of you. Mm -hmm. And that can be really difficult. Like, hold a second, this feels a lot like they're coming from mine. <laughs> this isn't just me helping them get somewhere else. This feels like they might be getting into my lane. Yeah. How do I handle that? And that's exactly back to your point. That's much easier said than done. 